Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm Muhammad Sheikh and you are listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum Muhammad Sheikh. Welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com and also our series Ramadan with Love. Jazakallah khair. It's an absolute honor to be part of the series inshallah. And I hope that um, whatever I'm about to share um, inspires somebody out there. And it becomes a lovely, spiritually full Ramadan for one and all. Inshallah. Zaheer, welcome. No, shukran Khalil. Alhamdulillah, I'm excited. Uh, it's not every day you um, actually get to meet the person behind the Instagram post. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very honored to meet my brother in Islam, uh, Muhammad. Alhamdulillah. Uh, welcome. I know he's a person that's uh, not only ready for this podcast, but he's born to serve. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, Alhamdulillah. Absolutely. I think... Uh, you know, it's it's great for myself being here to learn from your um, your experience as well. You know, as this is a conversation, so inshallah, um, basically following the in the legacy of um, the previous leaders who are still serving today, um, channeling the current leaders to serve tomorrow. Inshallah. So, who is Muhammad Sheikh? Okay, let's start from the very beginning. Um, I think you'll gather already that I'm not from Cape Town. In all aspects of of my existence. Um, So I was born in Durban, a place called Westville. I stayed there for approximately five years before I migrated to Saudi Arabia. And for a great part of my childhood, I lived in Riyadh, the capital city. I grew up there um, with my parents. My dad is, um, alhamdulillah, Sure, I don't know the, how best to describe him, but uh, academically he's a retired professor in literature and philosophy. He was lecturing uh, at uh, University of KZN in Durban, and then he got a post in Saudi Arabia uh, at the university there, etc. So uh, we migrated as a family. Um, he's also a mufti. Um, he qualified uh, in Deoband in India in the early 80s. So alhamdulillah, he's got a dual qualification, uh, Islamically and academically. My mom is a primary and high school teacher. She also, um, you know, uh, was teaching in Saudi Arabia. So I grew up for my early childhood in that particular part of the world. And uh, alhamdulillah, um, some memorable, great moments from there. But moving on, um, once my, my father completed his stint in Saudi Arabia, he decided, you know what, I think it's time to uh, move back to South Africa. You know, the the air in Saudi Arabia gets to a person eventually and home is home no matter what. So Alhamdulillah decided to uh, come back to South Africa and retire in a place called Escort. So Escort is, um, let, me, let, me, let me select the choicest words to describe this little farm town. It's located in KZN Midlands, close to the Drakensberg Mountains, uh, approximately 30 kilometers away. And it's the first town that has a direct water source from the Drakensberg Mountains feeding all the way uh, to Gela Falls, to, up to Stanga, etc., down down the coast. So, alhamdulillah, the water is absolutely pristine. Uh, 
and uh, it's quite farmly, quite greenery. Um, uh, there's quite a few industries in and around Escort, and Alhamdulillah, a very healthy Muslim population uh, with foreigners and local people, and uh, that's where we currently reside. So, Alhamdulillah, um, a few years ago, I got the opportunity to uh, move to Cape Town. Uh, I got accepted at the University of Stellenbosch to study medicine and uh, I had to migrate again to Cape Town and enjoy the healthy benefits of the air and the food and the wonderful warmliness of the people. <laughs> Can you perhaps tell, recall what was your first Ramadan experience like? Or your, let's say when you're young you go through the motions, you get the the bukatrits as you call it. Yes, yes, the bukatrits. You, know, you get excited <laughs> about it but more than that can you recall the, your first uh, realization like Ramadan is something amazing? Vividly, um, particularly because of the environment and the setting. So whilst my dad was overseas, we were about five or six years old at that time. Um, my younger brother was three, my sisters weren't born at that time. It was my, my dad's commitment every single year. He would take, normally in Ramadan, the second two weeks of Ramadan in most of the schools, universities are given off to the students in Saudi Arabia. He would take his annual two weeks leave as the first two weeks of Ramadan. And we would spend the entire month uh, in Makkah and Medina for Umrah. So first two weeks either in Makkah and the next year we would rotate it Medina, Makkah or Makkah, Medina. And subhanAllah, you know, I think um, it was it was phenomenal. At that time in Makkah, the the combination of um, recitals with Sheikh uh, Abdurrahman Sudais and uh, Sheikh Abdurrahman Shurain. And, you know, 10 rakats of either, as much as I would complain and, you know, tell myself that, yo, my legs are paining, I need to stand, I would really enjoy it, um, especially on the, uh, the uh, topmost floor of the haram. And you, you feel this cool breeze going and uh, the Quran just you know, coming into you and affecting your heart. And subhanAllah, uh, that time, you know, particularly for the local residents, it was difficult to get accommodation close to the haram. So we would actually stay far away from the haram. And we would spend from Asr right up to post Tarawi in the haram, you know, breaking our fast there and enjoying that spiritual feel in, you know, the holiest of places. And subhanAllah, you know, just the Qur'anic recitation, the atmosphere was beautiful, beautiful. You rest as much as you can during the day. And during the night is the, is the time for ibadah, the time for, you know, um, actually being out there, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and, you know, as young as I was at that particular time, um, you know, with my, with my particular feeling uh, of uh, oh, lack of maturity, if I could use those words, um, it was something that I, I, you know, I vividly can feel myself, you know, in that particular position. And, you know, those those experiences have been uh, something that I'll always cherish. But Alhamdulillah, you know, um, since then, since I got back from uh, Saudi Arabia and post-qualification, uh, post, uh, every year thereafter, I've had a different experience in Ramadan particularly because again of the environment the nature of the people around um the, the you know the the time availability uh, of of my career etc and alhamdulillah since you know starting university uh, and, and even before that some of the ramadans i've been i've managed to travel overseas and spend time in different countries um, perform salat tarawih in different countries as well and every every experience has been totally different um so my earliest uh, memory of ramadan 
was in the blessed lands. And I pray that every single person out there gets the opportunity, inshallah, to spend some day of Ramadan with the first few days, the last few days, the middle few days in Masjid al-Haram or Masjid al-Nabawi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And just, just appreciate, um, you know, that feeling, undescribable, cannot put down to words, cannot, uh, cannot explain or express it totally. And each person has a unique feeling, a unique expression. There's something about it that um, just touches deep down, um, irrespective of the type of person you are or how many sins you perceive you have in your bank account. Once you're in that precinct, uh, subhanAllah, everything just simmers away. You, 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 you develop a state of contentment. Nothing else matters to you. How do we prepare as an adult for, for Ramadan? The main thing that one needs to appreciate is the mindset. How does one approach Ramadan uh, in general? So in South Africa, for instance, you know, um, one of the first things that hits all of us is the calendars. The moment we go to the masjid and we see there's this mm. company calendar, then you know, okay, right. Um, that's a general trend. So the calendars come home. The next step is to, to smell the, the, the aroma of savouries being prepared. It's not yet done. You know, it's just in the pipeline, mm. mashallah. And as much as you try your luck to steal a two, one or two from the side, doesn't usually work. <laughs> that, you know, that's the, the second phase of it. And then I think it's a constant state of a reminder for every single person out there. Every single person prepares. There's like, there's like a communal preparation where the, the motions get passed of the savouries and the calendars and, you know, the people talking about it and the announcements on the radio, the sighting of the moon, particularly in Cape Town, you know, like a very wonderful tradition. Um, so those motions get passed. But individually, I think many a times um, it differs from person to person. But if I could give myself advice in how to prepare, I think every, every part or every preparation is a moment of reflection. A person has to think, has to develop a mindset for Ramadan. And in developing that mindset is planning goals or writing down goals. Um, you know, this is what I'd like to achieve. Uh, this is what I haven't achieved in life. And can my Ramadan be a springboard for me to achieve and live or continue that achievement for the remainder part of the year? So you hear ulama say, um, you know, it's a spiritual boost, like charging your batteries, etc. That I think is uh, Jummah to Jummah. You know, you go and listen to the khutbah, you're, 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 you're energized for, from week to week. Uh, Ramadan itself is a unique month. And the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attaches or what he attaches most dear to Ramadan, الذي أنزل فيه القرآن, is the concept, the attachment of Quran. So usually, naturally, I'd advise anybody that is incorporating personal goals for Ramadan to make Quran one of the themes in those goals. The learning of the Qur'an, the reciting of the Qur'an, the listening of the Qur'an, an attachment to Qur'an in any way by attending their program, whatever works for you, whatever works for you, build an attachment to Qur'an in some way or the other. Because it is Allah's month where Qur'an is the essence in everything. And you know, if um, if I may add, um, for those people that are memorizing or know a little bit of Qur'an and want to pursue it a little bit more, you know, I asked my teacher one day, uh, how does one retain the memory of, or, or rather the memorization of Qur'an? Because if you don't recite it regularly, it's a known fact, it's going to go away. So he told me, Muhammad, the best way that Allah will help you retain the Qur'an, not like how you're going to help yourself, 
the best way that Allah will help you retain the Quran which he has blessed in your heart is when you take it upon yourself to recite it abundantly in nafil salah, in optional salah. Yes, the fara'id are there. Sometimes it's beyond your control because the imam is performing. But in an optional salah, in nafil salah, the more you recite of what you've learned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ensure that it attains, it, it, it stays in your bosom for a very long time. So that was his advice that he gave me. So even those little surahs that many of us have learned, whether it's from Surah Al-Duha to An-Nas, um, you know, try and recite it excessively or as often as one can in salah that is additional to the fara'id. Whether it's our sunan, whether it is our awabin, whether it's whichever part of salah. So that is one uh, aspect of retaining, especially for huffad, etc. So people, you know, it's it's an individual thing and nothing that is quite set out will work for every single person. But I would I would ask of every single person, you know, um, or perhaps maybe just focusing on Ramadan. Let's sum it down. Let's bring it down. So there's four things that I recall, like a little a little uh, catchphrase that I remember, uh, you know, in terms of Ramadan that applies to every single one. Whether a person is on a spiritual daraja or status of an, a wali of Allah, or whether a person is like me that's right, sitting on the ground, you know, struggling day to day. Um, so there's two things you engage in and two things you abstain from. So you eat less, you sleep less, you pray more, and you spend more. This is the synopsis of your activity in Ramadan. You eat less, you sleep less, you pray more, and you spend more. So eating, well, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, it becomes the highlight of our Ramadan. As much as we intend to abstain from the delicacies, we end up overindulging. It's a regular phenomenon. And unless, mashallah, you you know you you somebody who uh, who controls his desires very well or very eagerly and has a great level of spirituality, so to say, subhanallah, those samosas are gonna get you every time. You know, you see, it's oily, it's uh, this and that, and you'll have all your side comments. But mashallah, you whack six after after at the time of buka, another six post tarawi, another six at the time of suhoor, and you know that's a regular nature. So um, eat less. Sleepless Ramadan is a month of ibadah. In Cape Town, we are going to have, be experiencing Ramadan in winter. So, uh, you know, with that added challenge of waking up earlier. Um, in fact, I mean, Subuh is much later in winter. So waking up 15 minutes earlier and performing an extra two rakat of salah. Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through different parts of the night ascends different parts of the heaven. Until the latter, port of, latter portion of the night, he comes right down to the summer and he asks of his servants, is there anybody that wants his needs to be fulfilled that I may fulfill his needs? So it's a personal connection. It's a personal relationship with the person shares with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, you know, for the little bit of, uh, or the more lazier people like myself, sometimes we feel that, you know what, uh, we, we, we wake up and then we're in that phase of, you know what, I'm, I still have to go and take up dust. I still have to go and get out of this blanket. So you're sitting and you're thinking, and the natural instinct is to take the cell phone. You know, catch up on the latest WhatsApps, check in uh, Facebook notifications, etc. However, if you take literally 120 seconds of that time in the comfort of your blanket, uh, feeling absolutely warm to make dua, and if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ameen, at that particular time, you've achieved success in this dunya and akhirah.
You know, we're not asking you to sacrifice your entire life and, you know, go to jihad or go and do this. Subhanallah, you know, practicality. Practicality is the essence. So, you know, um, and there's one one other advice that I'd love to give myself as well. Try to spend as much time uh, or rather as less of a time on leisurely activities than you would out of Ramadan. So whether it's a connection to uh, entertainment, to the cell phone, to you know, to the television, to a particular episode, a particular series, etc. Um, you know, try and minimize that. We're not saying leave it out totally because sometimes you know, if you uh, in the masjid and the sheikh isn't reciting so well and you fall off to sleep, you're going to come home and you're going to need stimulation, and you're obviously naturally going to resort to looking at your laptop, looking. Try and minimize that. And subhanAllah, you find that there's a whole different meaning. You begin to appreciate all the other spiritual ibadah once you try and negotiate with your heart to leave the things that you love the most in terms of the creation. I want you whacked off three questions without us even asking there. So samosas is your favorite Ramadan snack. Can we confirm that? Samosas it is. Any particular filling? Well, uh, you know, I, I like I like the traditional and the gourmet ones. Okay, the okay, okay, the, lovely. The, the so, I'll write this samosa. The second thing that you uh, whacked off the other question is, uh, we were going to ask you is, how do you prepare for each new day in Ramadan specifically? Mm. And I'm going to take it that your 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 you know, say your eat less, sleep less, pray more, s- spend uh, more, spend more. Let me touch a little bit on that. Okay, one. okay, okay. Yeah. On spend more, right? So Ramadan. Um, you see, it's, it's again part of the emotions, the commonality of people is, is a month where they start discharging zakah. You know, sometimes the concept of charity is all, it's, it's very, in our mindsets, we always limit the word charity to something that is financial, something that you have to give, you know, sadaqah, you take from your pocket, you give it at the person that's standing on the robot. But subhanAllah, like in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, his companions, Ashabu Sufa, the people that were part of the raised platform, meaning that was the place where they could only sleep and eat. They would live off the, the pittance or leftovers of the people around them in Medina. And, you know, they'd come and deliver the leftovers, so to say. So this particular group of companions, radiallahu anhum, uh, one day, you know, when they heard the, the rich Ahlul Aghniya coming to the Prophet, وسلم, you know, uh, mashallah, if we do this, you're going to get thawab. So obviously they're sitting inside and feeling left out. So they asked the Prophet, وسلم, one day, you know, it, the Prophet of Allah, we don't have the wealth. Subhanallah. Is there anything that we can do? And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told them a various number of things over a period of time. And one thing that I hold dear to mind, uh, or dear to heart, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned the hadith, that do not degrade any act of, of charity or any act of goodness Nothing. Do not degrade any single one of them, even if it means smiling at your next Muslim brother or sister. You meet them, you engage with them with a smiling face, even that is an act of sadaqah. So yes, sadaqah is restricted to everyone. Now I'll give you a practicality example of, of you know, uh, an application that's for everybody. MashaAllah, you see everybody, you know, at the time of, of, of Bukha, everybody's gathered in the masjid, subhanAllah. And you see some, some Buddhas bring like a whole tray of, of savories. Another person will bring his little um, container, etc. And MashaAllah, and you see some people distributing, etc. And then you get the one or two or three people, MashaAllah, you know, they'll distribute their stuff. They'll bring like, let's say, a kg of savories and mashallah, and you look at their collection on their plate, there's a two kgs. 
and pulling out one from here, pulling out one from there, mashallah. You know, because it's the time of breaking fast, so we're going to, uh, you know, uh, have as much as we can or taste different types of things. And subhanAllah, if, if on the Dastar Khan, if on the table you're unable to give from your heart or share with the next Muslim brother, how are you going to expect that to happen when you have to dig into your pockets? To help the next Muslim brother or sister. SubhanAllah, it's not going to work. So even in the small things, we have to be forgiving. And, you know, I recall, uh, SubhanAllah, just coming back, my Ramadan uh, in Madrasa, in uh, Camperdown, SubhanAllah. And uh, so as students, we'd have a very strategic way of sitting or areas of sitting because we know some people from outside, well-wishers of the Madrasa or whatever, you know, would come in and they'd bring their... Um, they contain us. So us youngsters, we had a strategic way of sitting close on the Dasar Khan because that particular person is going to sit there. So we know we're not going to be s- uh, left with the, the druk bajaz or <laughs> the druk samusas. We've got the fresh homemade stuff coming in. But I, I particularly, um, maybe we can add this to the snack part also. Uh, I particularly like dates. Now, my ustad, my, my pers- my, the teacher that I learned Quran by, um, his wife would... Every day, you know, fried dates with coconut and uh, a few other, sometimes with chocolate, etc. But it only bring a small portion to it. And I'd make it my habit to sit right next to him every day. So he would make the dua before, you know, uh, uh, before the actual uh, buka. And then we'd come, I'd go, I'd follow him immediately and sit right next to him. Because I know he'd share a particular portion with me. And then, you know, subhanAllah, as the years went by and I sat and I spent time with different people in different places... I realize, you know, um, your aim of bringing things to the table is to give, is not to take. The same, you know, the same principle can be applied to anything in life. Your aim in life is to give to the people more than it is to take from the people. And whether it's your money, whether it's your wealth, whether it's your time, all of it is to give for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what is meant by spending in the part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just the last part of the thing that I said you whacked off was, you said making the dua under the sheet if you haven't got the energy to get out. Yes. And hopefully Allah will accept it at Allah that time will. and that is through success in Absolutely. this dunya. Is that how you define success or do you want to elaborate more on that? Ah, subhanAllah. You know, from <laughs> thinking it academically now, I mean, every person has a, a different definition of success. But um, if I had to keep it open-ended, you know, something that's broad and can be relevant to everybody... Um, subhanallah I can't give you an exact definition of success mm-hmm. but maybe to suffice to say that you know it's something that um, will ensure or rather afford, will guarantee will guarantee progress will, will guarantee that you are on, on the straight path in this dunya and also something that will guarantee that your investment or your bank balance in the akhirah is well above what you expect so um, straight part in this world and your accountability sector in the year after is also guaranteed. So if you've got both, if you're straight, if you're on straight path in this dunya and on the day of Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your mizan, your scales will be reflecting in favor of you. Khalas. What is your favorite dua? Okay, there's many of them. There's many of them. I think the one that I sing to myself a lot or um, I make a habit of like when I'm walking or when I'm sitting down or when in between random things that just comes out is a dua Allahumma ya muthabbit al-qulub thabbit qulubana ala dinik and accompanied with that Allahumma ya musarrif al-qulub sarrif qulubana ala ta'atik very encompassing dua so um, if I'm not mistaken it was made by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allahumma ya muthabbit al-qulub 
Oh Allah, that person who keeps the hearts firm. Thabbit qulubana ala deenik. Make our hearts firm upon your deen. Allahumma ya musarrif al-qulub. And this is, a, you know, in his Arabic eloquence, Oh Allah, the change of hearts. And why the, the word musarrif is so apt with qulub is because the heart is a changing thing. It's never fixed. It's never the same every day. Ya musarrif al-qulub. Oh, the turn of hearts, sarrif qulubana ala ta'atik. And this is an element of spirituality. Oh Allah, change my heart towards your obedience. SubhanAllah. <laughs> and this is something that, you know, it, it has a deeper meaning, a deeper reflection. And our life can be revolved around this dua, especially because of our hearts. You know, when we are in that low and down moment and we're looking for that motivation, Ya Muthabbit al Qulub. Oh, the one that is the, that keeps the hearts firm. Thabbit qulubana ala deenik. Keep our hearts firm on your deen. And when we are in that phase where Allah gives us so much, or Allah gives us everything, Ya Musarrif al Qulub, the one that is turning our hearts, let it not be turned away to the, the, the plot of the shayateen or the plot of evil and mischief, but rather, Sarrif qulubana ala ta'atik. Keep our hearts focused. I wish we had a video course, Khalil, because I'm getting goosebumps. I want to I do. I think we should uh, do it. This is a Facebook Live question. I, I definitely think. Uh, I think definitely so. Think so. <laughs> sure. Oh, no. uh, yeah, so, see, what is your your favorite Quranic verse? I know it's it's the most difficult question. <laughs> it is, um, especially for someone as well like you. <laughs> no, not, but, at uh, all, not at all. Not at all. Let's, no, let's one, of, one of your favorite verses. Favorite verses of Quran or story. Allahu Akbar, alhamd. You know, maybe this might tie new teenagers or people in their midlife crisis. Where you come to a stage, you feel like you've rebelled too much, or you are in the phase of rebellion, and you wish that you had something to put brakes upon you, to keep you tame, to keep you there, but somebody to do it in a way that doesn't make you feel terrible about yourself. You know, that's, yes, I know, I acknowledge you're doing wrong. I, I totally accept that. But khair, inshallah, let's, let's try and work things out. Whereas, why are you doing something wrong? You are harami, you're a jahannami, you are this, you are that. You know, and each person goes through a phase of rebellion at some stage or the other. And, you know, this, this particular ayah ties in with um, the story of the Prophet ﷺ uh, regarding a particular sahabi by the name of Wahshi. And he was the person who killed the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Hazrat Hamza radiallahu anhu. And you know, um, there was a particular time where he was in this rebellious phase, and Allah subhanahu wa taala didn't open his heart towards guidance. And any Quraysh chief or chieftain of Mecca could tell him, you know what, do this, and he'd be like, yeah, I'm ready. And obviously, uh, Hamza radiallahu anhu became a victim because of this. But later on, as his heart simmered down, as his heart softened up and the Muslim empire started, you know, uh, expanding, uh, there was a period of time where he couldn't face the Prophet Because, you know, imagine that person that takes it upon himself to harm the ones that are extremely close to you. And still on top of that, you know, he has to present himself asking for forgiveness. And, you know, it's that, that, that particular dilemma which the Prophet ﷺ had. But, you know, Wahshi who no matter who went to him and told him, no, go to the Prophet ﷺ, he'll forgive you, he'll be okay. He, he could never face himself until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a particular ayah in his favor. And he said, Qul ya ibadi. And this particular servant, it comes in Surah Al-Zumar, Ali radiallahu anhu later on was asked, you know, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
that show me a verse in the Quran that is filled with no hope more than any other. So this was from amongst the intellectual dialogues which the Sahaba used to have. Oh, you know, this person, that person, right? Right now, we want to be a bit philo- philosophical. So one person asked, Ali, Ali, anhu, show me a verse in the Quran that collaborates every single bit of hope in one thing. Meaning that if Allah had to reverse, uh, reveal one verse in this entire dunya that is filled with hope for this ummah, it would only be that verse and it would be enough. This particular verse also relates to Wahshi radiallahu anhu and only then did he present himself to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi after this verse was revealed in his favor. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ So let's break down this ayah. O, per, o ibad, O servants of mine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking. الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ Those particular people that have wronged themselves. Right? So wrong themselves in the disobedience of Allah, in the ma'asi of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, you know, softens them up. La taqnatu min rahmatillah. Do not ever lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Inna allaha yaghfiru dhunuba. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, most certainly, with ta'akid now, inna is an expression of emphasis. Most certainly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yaghfiru dhunuba. Forgive sins, jami'a, and to add double emphasis on that entirely. And furthermore, you know, to you know, it's like when you tell a child, uh, you know, I told you 101 times, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. So many, you know, like the recurring emphasis. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even uses that language in the Quran a recurring emphasis. Most certainly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al ghafur, the most forgiving, the most merciful. And this particular ayah, you know, uh, every person out there always comes to a stage where the inner inner heart or the inner brain tells them, you know what, you, I, I know we, we acknowledge we're doing wrong. We acknowledge we are there. And the first thing of hope that we need to appreciate is that uh, Never ever lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Allah forgives every form of sin. When Wahshi felt that, you know what, there was a particular ayah that was revealed just for him. Then, subhanAllah, he broke down and said, right, now is the time for me to present myself to the Prophet I think that's a, a very relevant verse, not only for ourselves, but I think for, for our youth that may be struggling out there, Absolutely. struggling with identity, struggling with being maybe proud of being Muslim out there. And I think uh, that, that that verse will resonate with our listeners, definitely. And, you know, but on the flip side, we have to be logical about mm-hmm. our lives, mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's a particular hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that also, you know, because when you're in this phase of rebellion, um, and I use this words very, very loosely, rebellion, you, you also, you know, you you, you kind of acknowledge that um, going through this particular phase and rebelling and turning away from Allah and, you know, uh, thinking so much about disdaining or leaving religion completely, um, you know, you also... Uh, you also have to couple that with, I mean, yes, it is limitless. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forever forgive you. But in your own logic, if somebody had to wrong you one time, two times, three times, mm-hmm. would you, um, after 50 times, forgive that person? There comes a stage where you say, enough is enough. Khalas. Now, imagine, yes, Allah is al-ghafoor rahim But if you, if you wouldn't... Want to forgive somebody after the fiftieth time? Why wouldn't? You, why would you put Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, your Creator, into that very same position? If you don't want somebody to, uh, if you wouldn't have the heart to forgive somebody after an X number of times, 
the person who created you, who gave you life, who gave you every reason to be successful. And you want to put that person, that being through the same phase again? Allahu Akbar. So the logic that kicks in. Mm-hmm. Now this particular hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu ties in with this particular ayah. And it's something that I, I regularly quote, you know, in the khutbah and as, as a regular reminder for myself. So the Prophet ﷺ addressing uh, an intellectual, logical person. An intelligent person is that person who prepares himself. And whatever his stride for is, or whatever he does in this dunya, is to prepare him for what comes after, what comes after his death. والعاجز. Now, ajiz, ajaza means somebody who's helpless, somebody who's, uh, you know, like ish, in that phase, like, ah, no more now. Well, ajizu man atba'a nafsahu hawa is that person whose desires keep on catching up with him regularly, repeatedly. Well, ajizu man atba'a nafsahu hawa wa tamanna ala Allahil amani. And then he sits there like a helpless person. Oh Allah, you're forgiving me. Maybe he'll forgive me. Maybe he'll not forgive me. So he, he he repeatedly does this sin, but he expects, you know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercies will come all the time. So this particular hadith speaks to, uh, you know, the logic behind a person going through this particular phase. Yes, you know, you will go through difficulties in this mm-hmm. dunya. You will go through challenges. And I'm not saying these things are, uh, you know, uh, these things should change you in any way. Uh, in fact, they would make you stronger in terms of your belief. These challenges, these tests in the dunya would make you stronger in your belief. But at any given time, لا Don't lose mercy in the hope of Allah. And let that also not be the excuse for you to continue sinning. Why? Because you're ajiz, you're helpless now. You know, you, you feel like, ah, I'm doing it so often. So why should I even get back to Allah? Mm-hmm. Why, is He even going to forgive me? Mm-hmm. Allah says, yes, Allah will forgive you. But don't make it a habit. Like the boss would say, you know, uh, you faulted up in this work. You didn't. Don't make it a habit. Else you can get fired. Mm-hmm. Eh, no firing in the court of Allah. Mm-hmm. Inshallah. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is accountability, etc. But Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. So I think this particular life lesson applies to something that we can, you know, focus on in Ramadan and continue thereafter. Shukran Muhammad. May Allah open the ways first. Amin, Amin, Ya Rabb. Subhanallah. I think. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive me if I said anything incorrectly. Um, I hope inshallah whoever is tuned into the podcast um, that there was something of benefit that you could take with you. Even if it's one thing, I mean, you know, um, it's something that you could take with, uh, to benefit your life inshallah. And uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward the accidentalmuslims.com team for uh, creating this platform to inspire our youth out there and, uh, you know, to ensure that they derive benefit from these uh, episodes that have been done and will continue doing so inshallah i pray for its success and prosperity and uh, uh, may it reach all all corners of the globe inshallah as a means of inspiration and perhaps who knows in time to come in different languages in arabic in uh, you know some of the most common languages of this dunya uh, may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it an absolutely successful venture inshallah Amen. shukran for those to ask muhammad just to echo your your words in closing, and I'm, uh, I have no doubt these words will allow our listeners, allow ourselves to live with purpose. Amen, Elb. Be patient, be steadfast in your prayer, mm. and prosperity will be achieved. Amen, um, Patience, yes. prosperity, uh, patience, prayer, prosperity. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
So that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.